Hi, everyone. Desire is the way our internal navigation systems tell us what's available to us and also what's possible for us. But it's a code that most of us no longer know how to read. Many of us have suffocated our real desires to the point that we don't know what we actually want. And if we do, we either have so many subconscious, self-sabotaging, limiting beliefs wrapped up around them, or we have actually completely replaced our true desires with someone else's desires for us. And we can't tell the difference between what's ours and what we have superimposed over our psyches and really began to attach to and build around and to believe is our own. We can tell the difference because the pursuit of true desire is a journey that brings us closer to the people we really want to be. And our false desires, our perceived desires, are always just a means to an end. It's what we think we have to do and how it has to be. It's that we'll be content once the desire is achieved, but the process of getting there is something we're willing to risk or sacrifice. The nature of a false desire is always something that leaves us empty, not only throughout the process, but also once we arrive. When we arrive at the final completion state of a false desire, we have this sense of, is this it? Is that all? Because we realize and we come to understand that the way we plant the seed is how the fruit will grow. And when we do things out of obligation, out of fear, out of assumption that we cannot or will not or are incapable of doing things any differently. And we think that we sacrifice that time in our lives to arrive somewhere that it's all worth it in the end. We often find a grave disappointment on the other side because real desire is an internal North Star. Real desire is a blueprint of what we are here to do. Real desire is one of the most important and life-shaping things that we can get connected to. What we desire, truly, is not an outcome we are asking life to hand us. Desire is an outcome that life is asking us to create for it. We participate in desire. We grow through desire. We are led by desire. And when those desires properly arrive, because we have made them real, we do feel deserving of them in a way that we don't when we're just standing on the sidelines and thinking about what a fulfilling life would be. We are most afraid to lose what it is we do not already have. We are most afraid when we are just witnessing, bystanding our potential. We are most in deference to our fear when we are neglecting the pursuit of our desire. Desire is so essential to who we are. It is proportionate and reflective of what we have the potential to do and to create. Desire is not a fleeting want. It's not a gluttony. It's not an endless, insatiable need for more and more. Desire is the little spark within that tells us what the makings of a meaningful life would be. And at some level, it's something we are always connected to. But we block ourselves from having total awareness of it when we begin to feel as though acknowledging what we truly want is dangerous. We operate with this sense of, if something good arrives in my life, I need to hold my breath until it's counterbalanced by something equally bad or worse. And this is a generally false 
perception that we develop as a way of shielding the ego from ego death, truthfully. Because when we have built our lives around external expectations and we've only walked the most well-worn path and we maintain a constant focus on how we imagine things appear from behind other people's eyes rather than the truth of how they are experienced from inside of us, well, then acknowledging our true desires is dangerous to the ego. It is dangerous to the pre-established rules of the lives we are safely but often shallowly living in. It is dangerous to the perspective of the people who have likewise built their own lives within a set of subjective, really, rules that our desires, and probably theirs as well, really exist outside of. So somewhere along the line, we begin to disconnect from our own true desires and we establish false connections to other people's or really our perception of what other people's desires are. And we start to source our sense of fulfillment extrinsically. And that is when we get really lost. That is when we begin to think that settling is safety. That is when we begin to think that being risk averse is being responsible. That is when we start thinking in strokes too broad to allow in the quiet, the quiet nuance of truth. We start to assume that the only reality we can experience is one in which we are not only making room for disappointment to show up, we're not just, you know, leaving it a seat at the table. We're building everything around the centermost assumption that anything we truly want will not work out for us long term. And when we do this, we end up unconsciously creating that as the most firm aspect of our lives. We get exactly what we have most mentally prepared ourselves for, or we have most dominantly offered our attention becomes what grows. So eventually, you know, most of us reach the so-called night that wakes you. And that is when life is asking you to step back and evaluate how much you've been going through the motions versus living with intentionality. And when we first take that initiative to start to choose for ourselves, that's when most of us realize that we actually don't even know what we want. We have severed our connection to desire in every imaginable way. We cannot sense when we are hungry nor full. We cannot intuit what relationships are healthy for us and which are not. We have an overwhelming sense of something being wrong and not being able to pinpoint what. We have all of these feelings waving in and out of our day-to-day life. We don't know their source nor their purpose nor the message they're trying to send. We don't know what we like, but at the same time, we'll have a firm grasp on what's what's in, what's trendy. You know, it's all things like that where we are disconnected from who we are internally and more connected to what's expected of us on the outside. And I believe that self-inquiry can forge a path back to yourself. And I believe that these seven questions can help you bridge that gap between the life you built because you thought you were supposed to and the one that is waiting for you to let go of all of that, to come back to your center and to begin again. So when you do not know what you want, you're going to start right here. Number one, what is one small inconsequential thing you know is an absolute yes? The way you take your coffee in the morning one small, tiny part of your daily routine, your favorite shirt, 
a person you know you love. When you are trying to reconnect with your internal navigation system, it's hard to start with what's my purpose in life. It's hard to start with that huge stuff because the big stuff is complex and it it comes imbued and heavy with expectation and unconscious belief and all of this. So to reestablish the connection and the sense of your instinct being able to tell you what is a yes, you have to start small. Start where it doesn't really matter. And then you're going to build and strengthen it from there. You know, it is truly as simple as what dressing do I want on my salad today? <laughs> and you'd probably be surprised how often you have a clear knowing of what you want. And then for one reason or another, you override it and choose something different. Oh, I should get that. It's healthier. I, you know, whatever is going through your mind. But being able to reestablish a connection at the simplest level between your conscious mind and your full body's intuitive sense of what you really want is something that you have to take step by step. And so that's really square one. Make a list, literally make a list of everything that is a yes. I don't care how small it is. And if you keep that list running, over time, subconsciously, you're going to start looking for more things that are a yes. You really are. You're going to start paying more attention to the slightly bigger things that are a yes. And what you're going to come to start to understand is that as much as desire can be large and clear and directive, those large, clear directions tend to come to us in these little micro moments, in these little doorways of opportunity that are popping up all day. You know, we sense we desire to pursue a career in some artistic field. Great. The doing of that, the creating of that, the moment to moment capacity to build it piece by piece, comes to us in the moment of, I have an idea. Do I trust myself enough to follow it, to write it down, to create through it? So that's why starting this small is important because what you'll eventually come to find is that even with the big stuff, the big stuff is made of a whole lot of little stuff all put together. So bring yourself back down to the ground and start making a running tally of everything that is even the smallest sense of guess. Question number two is, what is your fear trying to protect? Fear shields where interest lies. Fear is the exclamatory, exaggerated way of expressing not what we actually don't want, but how much we want to keep what we do want safe. When we don't know what we want, we can also look to what we fear to guide us to what is most important to us. You're afraid of rejection because connection is your desire. You're afraid of failure because validation is your desire. You're afraid of change because consistency is your desire. It's not about abiding by the fear and allowing it to tell you what you will or will not, can or cannot do. 
It's about letting the fear show you what you actually care about really, really deeply. And then letting it show you what you need to rebuild your life and your comfort zone around. When we can't get connected to desire, fear is often in the way, but they're kind of two sides of the same coin. We wouldn't be afraid of what we do not at some level deeply care about. And I find that the amount of fear we feel is proportionate to the depth at which we love or are connected to that thing or desire that thing, really. Question number three is, what opportunities do you have right now that you will not have again? If you could look back or imagine looking back at this time of your life a few decades from now, would you be able to see with more clarity that you were sitting in the middle of an opportunity and didn't realize, or many opportunities and didn't realize, what doors were open and you were just walking right by them? If retroactively imagining this moment isn't helpful for you, imagine yourself one, five, ten years ago. Imagine that version of you looking at you today. That version of you who might have been waiting for this moment. That version of you who would also very, very possibly see many opportunities right here and right now that you are overlooking. Scale back and recognize the potential of the moment. Imagine it in the totality of your life. In this exact moment, what is being offered to me that might not be offered again? And will I choose to take that chance, take that opportunity, accept that challenge? Question number four, what is most notable to you about other people's lives? I always say that everything is like one big old inkblot test. So it's not what's on the paper, but what within it that you see. It's very telling. And our perception of other people is very much that way. We can truly look to other people to see unconscious elements of ourselves. And we can recognize them through what gives us the strongest emotional reaction. So what we find beautiful about someone else is often a facet of our own beauty that we cannot see. What we dislike about someone else's life choices very often contains within it an element or a trace or a slight mirror of some disassociated aspects of the things that we are also doing and choosing and do not realize. What we find inspiring about someone else's life is, is often not because what they have is so extraordinary, but actually because what they are doing seems within reach. It seems possible at some level. And you'll notice that what you tend to find most moving and gripping and heart opening about other people's lives it's not the people who are living at such a level that is so far removed from the reality that you see and know. It's the people who seem like they are one to five degrees of proximity away from you, you know, acting on inspiration that you also know you have, pursuing a desire or a path you also know you would like, living in such a way that at some level you can recognize would also be available to you. So, 
ask yourself truly both the high and the low of it. What inspires me? What annoys me? What is an absolute no? What fascinates me? What life do I know for sure I do not want? What life do I know for sure I would maybe be very into? And again, you're gathering all of this, not imagining your own existence, but other people's. Using other people um, as a sort of mirror practice. And it can be really revealing and really helpful to get a stronger gauge and seeing it in someone else. What is a guess and what's not? Question number five is what makes your body contract and what makes it expand? So, where the brain can often overlay narratives of what is right and good and wrong and whatever else. The body has a greater, deeper, and fuller wisdom. And where our conscious minds fail us, our bodies will often step in and intervene. If you can get connected to your body's subtle responses, where the second brain in your gut, literally, is speaking to you, it's doing it through an expansion or a contraction. And this is really kind of straightforward and literal. I mean, notice your shoulders and your chest when you're with a person or in an experience. Are you opening or are you shutting down? You know, we think of life as being just, you know, a choice between love and fear, but what it really is, is what expands us, what opens us, what is, what initiates growth, what blossoms, what moves, what flows, and what doesn't, what stagnates, what sticks what makes us feel like we're boxed in and there are no other options. And and in this particular scenario, this isn't like a metaphor. This is a literal physical acknowledgement of the subtle sensations that your body is using to try to communicate to you. It's really a call to pay attention to your own body language. The conscious thoughts that are coming in and out of your mind are such a small fraction of what's really going on in the totality of who you are. Paying attention to those subtle cues can contain within them an enormous amount of information and wisdom about what you are responding to and what you are shutting down to. Question number six is an extension of that, but at a bigger scale. What gives you as much energy as it takes? And what takes with no capacity to give anything back? So if you look at the greater patterns within your life, you know, you you might have those subtle contractions or expansions in your body, but at a much clearer, bigger scale. When you are done hanging out with someone, How do you feel after you've spent a significant amount of time with someone? How do you feel? Once you're done with a certain project or activity or skill or job or whatever it is, do you feel, even if you're tired, do you feel energized in a way? Really, even if you're exhausted, even if you need to rest, even if you gave it all you've got, do you come out of it feeling ready to go back in? feeling affirmed, feeling supported. It's not that every single thing in our lives is meant to be or even can be 
a direct and exact equal energetic exchange. That's not what it is. It's that when we are giving ourselves to the things that deeply matter to us, the act of selflessly giving in and of itself gives back to us. You know, like when a parent is loving and caring for a child, it is taking everything that they have got mentally, emotionally, physically, financially, everything. But it is that unconditional, deepest possible, fathomable love for that child that's giving it all back. It's not that the child themselves is specifically and directly giving something back in that moment, but that the act of caring for them is a function of something so deep and meaningful and true. that when it takes it all, it gives it all back in different ways. And so that is what you wanna start paying attention to because the things that drain you, and that's it, they just drain, are taking from you. And the things that are really and truly right for you and really aligned with your desires, they are inherently energizing, they are inherently inspiring. When you are with the right person, your life doesn't settle down. It, it takes off. When you are in the right work, you expand and you develop. When you are pursuing the right things, your life grows and opens up. So what starts is that subtle contraction in the chest and the body over time becomes something much larger. And you know it because of how you feel. It's not that the only things that are right for you are the, are the ones that are effortless and unchallenging and don't demand anything of you. It's not that. It's that in the effort and in the challenge and in the demand, you find something so inherently worthwhile that you become strengthened, you become motivated, you become encouraged you become reconnected to yourself through the doing of them. And number seven, the last question is, in the simplest terms, what have you always really wanted out of life? When you were a child, what lit you up? I have so many memories of being little and I was so imaginative and I would be I remember being like on the cold tile floor of the basement of my parents' house and just like writing and drawing and creating. And I was outside until the sun went down. I was always calling my best friends and staying up past my bedtime to draw something that was inspiring to me. And, you know, I see so many of those elements. It really brings a smile to my face because I see so many of those elements reflected back in a more mature way in my life now. And they feel even more powerful now than they did then. And those true and simple things brought some of the greatest and deepest joy. And sometimes I think we overshoot. I think we forget that at the core of it all, what almost all of us desire is love, connection, community, purpose. And I think that sometimes it's easier to listen to or believe in the louder desires, the ones that are aspirational or seem impressive on the surface, 
or tell, you know, an awe-inspiring story or that make for a good elevator speech. You know, the ones that we we imagine putting together the image of and presenting to other people and we get that affirmation and validation because it's unique, it's interesting, it's out there, it's ambitious, it's wild, you know, whatever it is. And yeah, that can be part of our desire. But sometimes it's even more important to listen to the quieter ones. You know, if your desire is to learn how to enjoy the afternoon, how to love the people you have while you still have them, to be at peace and centered each day, to work on your mental health or your physical fitness. These desires sometimes can can seem too simple to be as legitimate as the bigger, stronger, louder ones, but I find the opposite to be the case. That the simpler the desire is, usually the more true it is. And so I think that sometimes it can be really tempting to try to draft up the most dramatic vision of our lives possible, thinking that would evoke a sense of such intense wanting. It would become undeniable. But I think what's undeniable is the quiet, soft truth that's living inside of you, waiting for you to turn back inside and look it in the eye.